trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe. Welcome back to the Advent Calendar House, the podcast where ho ho hoing is half the battle. That can only mean you better watch out because today we are kindly rewinding back to a 1985 Christmas episode of G.I. Joe, a real American hero, entitled Cobra Claws Are Coming to Town. I am rambunctious Navy SEAL looking for a meaningful relationship with a large slab of frozen meat, Mike Westfall. And joining me is my 50 foot tall wisecracking parrot, it's Joey O. Yo, Joey! Frogs in winter! Frogs in winter! <laughs> that is a reference to a different episode. Really? It could have fit in here. They could have found a way. So I don't have a conscious entry point for G.I. Joe. I'm exactly the right age where consciously it's just always been there. I think <laughs> it might be one of the first TV commercials I remember seeing, specifically for the toy line. What about you? Do you have any specific history or memories with G.I. Joe? Oh, I love G.I. Joe. Like some people are are Transformers people growing up, and I, I like Transformers and all, but I was G.I. Joe, partly because probably the toys were cheaper. But <laughs> no, G.I. Joe was definitely my thing. I remember like when the original miniseries debuted on Channel 29. Again, you're two years younger than me, so it wasn't that big a difference. But no. if I was, you know, in kindergarten when it aired, that would make a difference, I guess. But um, yeah, no, I watched it religiously on Channel 29 the whole run. Um, I have a you know, ton of the figures. I love, I think the Cobra character designs are some of my favorite, like, you know, superhero-y looking character designs of all time. They're so Always good. been in the bag for G.I. Joe from the very beginning. So I was not a kid who needed every character from everything as far as action figures went. I liked a lot of stuff. We all liked a lot of stuff. So I had a few G.I. Joes, a few Ninja Turtles, some He-Man characters. I was a He-Man kid early on around this time. Uh, but Random Happy Meal toys. I think the largest set from one line I had were actually from Pee-wee's Playhouse because they all came in a set. So I had maybe a handful of G.I. Joe toys. Definitely remember having Flint, Storm Shadow, Serpentor. Did I have Sarge? I think I had Sergeant Slaughter. I had Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> I think my brother tech maybe he's my brother's. My brother had the, the little uh, the truck he had, like the the Jeep with the treadmill. I had no vehicles. Oh, okay. So a guy who does landscaping in my neighborhood used to work for Hasbro in some capacity. I don't remember what he told me, but I think it had to do with shipping or supply or something, because when he told me this to me, a man in my 30s who's about the same age as his own son, what do you think the first toy he talked to me about? G.I. Joe? G.I. Joe and the USS flags that he had oh. in his basement at one point. And my eyes must have lit up like Christmas trees because we had maybe a 10 minute conversation about G.I. Joe after that. <laughs> I didn't I swear I remember a friend having I always wanted the the terror the terror drum right <laughs> but I never had that but I, I had a ton of jet because they were they were cheaper they were smaller you could find them you know easily um, I had a lot of diff variety of vehicles on a big box in the crawl space in my parents basement still um, I, I wanted to collect like all the different Cobra commander excuse my favorite I it took me until like the the era of eBay maybe to find the the oh, metal wow. The, you know, the all silvery yeah, yeah. costume, like just to have him at that point, I think. Mine were all mixed up and then my friends had their own. Mine were mixed up in a basket with everything. So 
for me, it was always a very Andy from Toy Story scenario where we'd make up, we'd make these guys fight random other toys. Serpentor and Shredder team up versus <laughs> Cowboy Curtis <laughs> and the blonde guy riding a T-Rex from Dino Riders on the game board of Crossfire. You get caught up in the Crossfire. <laughs> also, they're they're about the same size the, as the Star Wars figures, too. I so. think they're exactly the same size, so that's a good jumping point. So, very, very quick history. G.I. Joe began life in the early 1960s as America's movable fighting man, which was just a poseable 12-inch doll in a uniform from each branch of the United States military, but you can't call it a doll. It's an action figure. Uh, and during the 70s to downplay the war theme, I guess during Vietnam, Hasbro repackaged it as the G.I. Joe Adventure Team with Kung Fu grip and lifelike hair and a full beard. Then in 1982, we get this real American hero line of three and three quarters inch figures that had to be following the success of the Star Wars line because I think they're the exact same size. And to sell toys in the 80s, you needed to turn it into a TV series which we got in 1983. So with a new toy line, we get a completely new backstory, helpfully outlined for us at the beginning of every episode. G.I. Joe is the code name for America's daring, highly trained special mission force. Its purpose, to defend human freedom against Cobra, a ruthless terrorist organization determined to rule the world. And I am positive they put that in there to explain to kids, G.I. Joe isn't just one dude named Joe and all his friends. <laughs> it didn't work. My friends would still argue, no, that one's G.I. Joe. Well, there was a G.I. Joe. He was General Joe uh, Colton, I think. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So two things. One, if you, listeners, if you want a much longer version of what Mike just said, uh, go pull up the Toys That Made Us documentary series oh, on absolutely. Netflix because they did an entire episode about the history of the G.I. Joe figures. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And two, that's not even my, this is just a side note, but my favorite opening crawl animated series explaining the show. What do you think it is? Cause it's not GI Joe. Oh, is it he man? No. Do tell from days of long ago, from uncharted <laughs> regions of the universe comes a legend, the legend of Voltron defender of the universe. Well, yeah, good pick. Good pick. A mighty robot loved by good, feared by evil. Did they have a Christmas episode? I don't think they celebrated Christmas. Yeah. No. <laughs> ah, well. But the voice uh, of the G.I. Joe intro is legendary actor Jackson Beck, best known as the announcer of the radio show The Adventures of Superman. And from 1944 through the 60s, he was the voice of Popeye's nemesis Bluto, including that run where he was Brutus. Because someone mistakenly thought they didn't have the rights to the name Bluto. They didn't not have the rights. I never knew that was why. Yeah. Um, this episode aired November 7th, 1985. Seems early for a Christmas episode, but not too early. This is right around when that Christmas creep really starts to get cooking. So I think the best bet here, speaking of voices, is to just bring the rest of the cast up as we go. It's a lot of people we've already talked about on previous episodes of this podcast. So we don't need to dive too deeply on each one. I'll put them in the show notes, including all the times you have talked about, uh, <laughs> or you have interviewed them, rather, all the times we've talked about them on the show. Plus, it's a cartoon made to sell toys, so a lot of characters show up, and they all make sure to mention everyone's name in otherwise normal conversation. <laughs> 
Yeah, G.I. Joe had, you know, the beyond all-star 80s voice actor cast, and we'll get some of them along the way. We will. Uh, but with all the characters that do show up, there are even more who are absent, explained away by the super easy plot device of holiday leave. So no Hawk, no Lady J. They're on Christmas break. Only essential personnel are at headquarters. And they're washing their hands. So we open with the sultry screeching of Polly the Parrot singing, Jingle Bells! To let us know it's a Christmas episode. That, of course, is Frank Welker, who did a bunch of other voices in this show alone. But since we have Polly, that means Shipwreck the Navy SEAL dressed like a village people sailor is here. Along with Dusty, the Desert Trooper, both voiced by Neil Ross. I don't think we've talked about Neil Ross before. Joey, have have you ever met Neil Ross? He was at the very first RetroCon here in the Philly suburbs, the first one they ever did. Oh, wow. I met him. uh, My friend Josh and I have a picture with him. He autographed my Voltron, going back to Voltron, um, DVD set because Neil Ross was the voice of Pidge, my favorite character. Aw. Um, actually he has an autobiography, which is on my Kindle wish list to read at some point. And do you know what, uh, song that we both know very well that he shows up in song that was was very vague, a song by a certain, um, guy who used who sometimes has a mustache and used to have glasses. Then he got laser eye surgery. (laughs) Uh, I'm drawing a blank of what song he'd be in of weird Al's. All I can think of was like, no, that's Don Pardo and I lost on Jeopardy. <laughs> give up? I give up. I can't watch this. Oh, of course. Oh, I should. He's one of the TV announcers in like the, the oh, oh, the, uh, you know, the bridge. Well, Neil Ross was also the voice of Buzzer in this episode. Cobra's guy with the chainsaw. He shows up later elsewhere. He's voiced animated versions of John Rambo and Howard Stark and Norman Osborn and Fin Fang Foom. And do you know what else I specifically am thinking of? No. He's the narrator of the Biff Tannen Museum. (laughs) Yes, he is. Happy Back to the Future Day. (laughs) <laughs> um also his shipwreck obviously is doing his you know jack nicholson more or less jack nicholson with like a pinch of paul lind mixed in there <laughs> button your beak bird or there's a feather duster in your future <laughs> hey shipwreck where's your holiday spirit uh, we also have cover girl voiced by libby aubrey best known as the voice of cover girl in gi joe <laughs> Yeah, let's have some Yuletide cheer. We collected enough toys to beat last year's record. So, Shipwreck, who's like the Ralph crammed into his pet parrot's Alice, shuts up Polly, threatening a feather duster in your future. Bit of an odd way to phrase that. A feather duster in your future? It sounds like he's either threatening Polly with housework, or he's threatening to turn some other bird he might know and love into a feather duster and make Polly do housework with that duster. Oh, dear. But the four are heading back in the G.I. Joe Happy Holiday Wagon from a day of collecting toys for a local children's hospital. When Cobra's Wild Weasel flies in for an air attack. Happy Holidays from Wild Weasel, you Christmas turkeys! And it's our old pal Pat Fraley. We talked about him as the voice of Glowworm. But to us he'll always be Krang. Cover girl's at the wheel and swerves out of the way behind a rock quarry. 
where another Cobra troop is hiding. It's Firefly, and I don't think he says anything, but he's normally voiced by Greg Berger, the voice of Odie the dog. The Joes don't see him. He drops a rocking horse and some other toys into the Happy Holiday Wagon and gives Wild Weasel a thumbs up. Weasel radios in that their mission was a success and backs off, leaving the Joes very confused. But Covergirl insists, let's not look a gift horse in the mouth. No, look at it in the eyes because they start to blink. No one notices as they return to Joe headquarters and start unloading the toys. Not even Blowtorch, who picks up the horse and wistfully mentions he always wanted one as a kid, notices his blinking eyes. Blowtorch is Michael Bell, whom we discussed at length as Opus the Penguin uh, in a wish for wings that work. Always wanted one of these when I was a lad. Charming, isn't it now? And Duke, who is his, you know, main, main character. Right. Feels D- like. Yes. If Cobra mounts a full assault while we're shorthanded... They'd never get through our automatic defense grid, cover girl. Duke is definitely the most Michael Bellish of the three he does in this episode. He's also Major Blood, who we'll meet later. Uh, here's when cover girl helpfully mentions that most of the Joes are home for Christmas, to which Duke replies, don't worry, we're safe behind our automatic defense grid, which is a very tall fence of lasers. Everything is lasers. It's G.I. Joe. It is. I want a Everything very Everything tall- is lasers. <laughs> Will the Joe sit down for Christmas dinner prepared by Roadblock? He's the one The Rock is in the movies, kids. Mr. Who Wants a Body Massage from those fake PSAs. Voiced by Kenny Holiday, who around this same time was private investigator Tyler Hudson on Matlock. And I don't think I recognized anything else he's done. Did you? No, I don't. I don't really know him. I never knew who was Roadblock. No. And he loves to rhyme. He sure does. Smack your lips and feast your eyes. Roadblock cooked you a big surprise. He's not even my favorite G.I. Joe that uh, serves food. Uh, he was a chef. That was the thing. Roadblock was a chef before he got into the uh, army. Or he was an army chef, maybe. Yes, but no, I I, <laughs> I don't want to go on the tangent, but you know what the greatest episode of G.I. Joe is. Um, drawing a blank because I've been watching this one too much. Fill me in. The Viper is coming, 575. Oh, yes. oh, of course. And that's where barbecue is like serving burgers. Hey, how about leave them on for the chef? <laughs> that is the best episode of G.I. Joe. You are absolutely correct. When you see that episode for the first time and you're like in you're like seven years old, it is the pinnacle of comedy of all time. It's probably like warped me for terrible jokes like the rest of my life. Here's the thing, though. My dad ruined the ending for me because I already heard that dad joke from him years <laughs> before watching that episode. I'm just like, I know what ha- I know what's going to happen. Some guy called himself the Viper. He's going to vibe the windows. Starts on West Corner. Top floor first. <laughs> oh, and one year at Retrocon. There, well, there's a lot of like, there's like, you know, the official like G.I. Joe cosplay, whatever group in the area. They oh. had a little kid dressed as the Viper. Yes. The mustache and everything. Oh, of anyway. course. Well done. Also here for a Christmas dinner are Wild Bill the Cowboy Joe. That's Frank Welker again. Andre, you outdid yourself. Frank Welker is also the Junkyard the Dog. I almost said the Junkyard Dog. That is not Frank Welker. <laughs> <laughs> Grab them cake. <laughs> The JYD's here for dinner, which also means the Joe's canine handler, Mutt, is here, voiced by Bill Morey. I'll uh, chow down later, okay? I want to be alone for a while. 
whom I otherwise know best as the judge who almost married Cory and Topanga on Boy Meets World until Topanga got cold feet that first time. <laughs> and lastly, Tripwire, who in his very first credit as a voice actor yep. is Rob Paulson. This thing's got a two-way switch. Whatever it shrinks, it can also expand. Bingo, his earliest, earliest role as voice actor. Tiny baby Rob Paulson, and I think we talked about Rob the most extensively in Pinky and the Brain, but we talked about him a lot. Yes. <laughs> uh, Mud is the focus of this scene as he gets up and leaves the dinner, obviously depressed. Junkyard follows him out, and Mutt takes a walk outside with his very good dog, explaining Christmas always gets him down because his parents always made such a fuss over it that they neglected to spend quality time with him growing up. And then we never get back to that plot point again. He sort of references at the very end. He does, but that's it. Like, it's just resolved on its own. It's just like, I feel better now. <laughs> that's that's it. <laughs> but he stops when he hears something in the pile of toys, and we see the rocking horse moving toward him very creepily. And sure enough, out jumps a fleet of tiny cobra troops, led by the equally tiny Major Blood. Mutt manages to pull the alarm before Cobra's gas attack knocks him out. The alerted Joes rush outside to find the tiny Cobra fleet, including the Baroness, possibly my earliest TV crush, Joey. <laughs> we now have the jaw weapons and vehicles we need for tomorrow's attack on Keystone City. Baroness is voiced by Morgan Lofting, who is best known for this, but was briefly... Yeah. Briefly the voice of Aunt May in early 80s Spider-Man before he started hanging out with his amazing friends. Wow. <laughs> Tiny Baroness knocks out the defense grid control panel, Return of the Jedi style, and that allows Firefly on the outside to climb the outer wall and use a device that enlarges the Cobra team and their vehicles to full size. Roadblock blasts the wall underneath Firefly's feet, causing him to fall and the device to break, but it appears to be too late. The Joes are surrounded, and out beneath their festive Merry Christmas banner steps Cobra Commander to deliver a season's greetings! Season's greetings! <laughs> and that, I think, is the defining shot of the special. <laughs> Uh, two things I want to I want to point out here before we go any further. Sure. One, what size were the tiny uh, cobras? Are they the size of the action figures? Are they slightly <laughs> bigger? Are they the size? Not the classic Mego size ones. They're a little smaller than that. Yeah, they could be. They turn themselves into their own size. Yeah. And two, uh, we have to just talk a little about how for a military show, GI Joe was the most sci-fi bonkers series ever it really was and it was from the get-go the very first episodes are about the mass device which teleports and and the weather dominator yes. and it just got weirder like I all, loved it all of their weapons shoot lasers it's wonderful and then you get the greatest origin story ever which is arise serpent to arise yes and then you know gi joe the movie got even more insane I was once a man. <laughs> but they're, they're quote unquote military. An elite, elite military. Yes. But yes, yeah, so this episode, of course, has a shrink ray called the reducer enlarger. The reducer enlarger. Yes. 
That was sort of my Destro. <laughs> I can <laughs> well, only do Destro if he's saying, my dear Cobra Commander. <laughs> well, his dear Cobra Commander is voiced by Christopher Collins, who's also another Cobra Troop Ripper who shows up briefly elsewhere. He was Starscream, of course. And much better known as Chris Lotta. I don't know why he's Christopher Collins in IMDb. Like, most people know him as Chris Lotta. Oh, no, I looked it up. What, no, no, Chris Lottis' birth name, Christopher Collins, he changed it to when his stepfather adopted him or is something like that. He's always credited as Chris Lotta yeah. in the credits of the shows, though. I so. don't know. That's what Wikipedia told me. So Interesting. And I think we tried to recall on the Simpsons episode we talked about, he was the original voice of Mr. Burns. For some reason, like, it went over all of our heads. Maybe we mentioned it. I don't remember. But Joey... Chris Lotta was also another famous villain for a brief time on a local kids TV show in Southern California. Do you know about this? No, I knew he was like a stand up. He had a lot of he did a lot of you know, like sitcom one off appearances. So from 1989 to 1990, he was the star of a local kids TV show called King Koopa's Cool Cartoons. <gasps> A spinoff of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show, he was a live-action Bowser wearing the Mr. Belvedere Ice Capades costume. This is real. Yes. Are there any photos of this online? Oh, yes, there are. There are videos of this online. That's going in the show notes. They're already there. What the heck? Oh, my gosh. This is really unnerving looking. (laughs) G.I. Joe will return after these messages. He's getting mad. He's getting mean. He's breaking the line for the G.I. Joe team. That's right. It's William the Refrigerator Perry. The fridge is destroying G.I. Joe. And you can get a free fridge. Here's how. Collect five fridge certificates or call the number on the certificate and the fridge will tell you how to get in on the action with only four certificates. There's a $1 handling charge. See details on specially marked G.I. Joe packages. Watch out, Cobra. Fridge is coming through. Yo, Joe! Now, back to G.I. Joe. So the Joes try to fight back, but the Baroness fires another gas bomb that knocks out only the good guys. How's that work? Science. Cobra spent the last few years building up an immunity to Iocane powder? (laughs) Something. Uh, But the Joes minus Duke wake up in handcuffs and are led to Cobra Commander and also Destro. Here he is, voiced, of course, by Arthur Berghardt. Imbecile. This molecular reducer enlarger represents a decade of research. My buddy Chad and I talked about him at the end of our episode on Nickelodeon's Christmas in Tattertown. Great, great story he shared about Arthur Berghardt and Michael Bell. Did you listen to that one? Yes, I think I wrote to you guys because I had an Arthur Berghardt story, too. (laughs) Um, He was at, uh, again, telling stories about Retrocon here in the Philly suburbs. The year that I interviewed Rob Paulson and got to hang out with him a little bit, Rob and Arthur were on the same panel. Oh. And Arthur likes to talk. (laughs) And he likes to talk. And he's like, he's a thespian. He's like a serious, like, stage actor is his background. So everyone who was like there to to get like, you know, the full like Rob Paulson, I'm going to tell story. I'm going to do pinky. I'm going to sing the song and, you know, Yakko's world and blah, blah, blah. They didn't get that much of that because Arthur Burkhart sort of hogged the entire panel, like 75 percent of it. Wow. But I felt kind of bad for, for, you know, the audience a little bit. But yeah, he's very much like a, a, like, you know, stage actor who's done like has a back history with. Sure. Like, I can't remember. There were there was. 
I'm babbling. That is very Destro-ish of him. So <laughs> This Destro is distraught about his now broken molecular reducer and larger, which he put a decade of research on. Baroness reassures him it accomplished its purpose in allowing them to commandeer the Joe's vehicle fleet, and here is when Cobra Commander reveals his grand plan to attack Keystone City using the Joe's weapons. This is the only episode that mentions Keystone City, so Joey, as a resident of the Keystone State, where is this? Keystone City is where the Flash lives. Oh yeah, you're right. That was what I wrote down right away. Where was the Flash? Uh, he was in, uh, uh, oh, is it Central City? There were like two sister cities. Oh, uh, yeah. So he was in the other one. He would run back and forth. He was on holiday break. He was he was having Christmas dinner over with uh, Hawk and Lady J. With Hawkman? We get a clue later from where, from some truckers Cobra passes on the way to Keystone City. The passenger is reading the paper and scoffing at the headline, Martians Land in Hoboken. Newark, I believe, but Hoboken? So... I'm going to guess these truckers are driving on I-78 or I-80, which goes east to west across New Jersey into Pennsylvania around the middle. So maybe it's in the area of Easton or Stroudsburg, perhaps Allentown. It's not a big city. It's not Philly. It's not even Scranton. But this G.I. Joe headquarters is very much in the middle of nowhere, and that middle section of Eastern PA fits the bill. Anyway, along with their planned attack, Cobra has recorded a video message by what appears to be Duke declaring martial law on Keystone City. This is Sergeant Duke Hauser, G.I. Joe team leader. We're tired of serving our country. It's time the country started serving us. But it's not really Duke, but in fact, Cobra's master of disguise, Zartan. It can't be. Right you are. But try telling it to the folks in Keystone City. Whose real disturbingly echoey voice is provided by Zach Hoffman, who's best known for this. But he also had a small role in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Joey, do you know who he was in that? Only because I just clicked on IMDb. <laughs> Man, he really hasn't done anything else. No. Three words. Stop that nun. He was the director <laughs> of that movie with little Jason Hervey in the bike. That was Zartan. Well, Zartan also is way better than Pistachio Disguisey. <laughs> He's turtly enough for the Turtle Club. <laughs> turtle, turtle. Only he'd been a voice on Turtles. <laughs> no, because they got James Avery. Uh, we don't know where the real Duke is, but Cobra Commander plans on having him board his own jet and make the attack look legit. The rest of the Joes get locked up in a frozen meat locker because, of course, G.I. Joe headquarters has a meat locker. You gotta feed a lot of people. They do. Entire military base. <laughs> Major Blood advises them to keep cool. This tripwire decides he hates puns all of a sudden. Buddy, you're on the wrong show. <laughs> Young, tiny baby Rob Paulson, you're in the wrong business. No, you're in the right business. Stay in this business. He goes on to make a zillion puns so on another So many show. puns. All of the puns. Like 13 years later. Not even. 12 years later, maybe. Decade? No, oh. oh, like, well, this was 85, so like seven or eight. Yeah, man. Shipwreck does the quick thinking here, passing it off as the desire for a meaningful relationship with this piece of meat next to him. Neil Ross's shipwreck wants so badly to go full Paul Lind. You know, me and that side of beef, 
could have a meaningful relationship. Is your brain frostbitten or what? Come on, cover girl, you got no imagination. Just watch. What he's actually doing is using the meat slab as leverage to slip off the meat hook he's been hung on by his handcuffs, and it works. But he hears Cobra on the other side about to unlock the door, so he grabs the meat hook again with his hands just in time for a gloating Cobra commander to walk in, offer the keys to their handcuffs as a Christmas gift, leave it next to the door out of their reach, and lock it up again. That was a dumb, cocky, dumb move, my dear Cobra Commander. Stupid move. Even the Baroness is like, this is childish. First off, as obviously careless as this seems when they're all hanging on meat hooks, it's especially stupid because the dog's in there not hanging from anything. (laughs) Dog's chained to the wall, but it doesn't look too short of a chain. It's possible. Secondly, I think he left their weapons in there, or at least unguarded, because as soon as he leaves, Shipwreck hops down and frees everyone, and next we see them blasting the door to the control room where Destro is. But Destro has managed to fix his molecular reducer and large array by this point, and starts firing, and we see equipment console shrinking, as Destro threatens to reduce the Joes to subatomic nothingness, Bad idea, Destro. We know now in 2020 how it ends for bad guys when a good guy gets trapped in the quantum realm. (laughs) They discover time travel. Uh, But Polly flies at Destro and distracts him long enough for the Joes to tackle him, but not before he zaps the parrot with with a shrink ray, reducing him to the size of a fly that Wild Bill almost swats away before Shipwreck recognizes his now extra little buddy. Tripwire switches the ray to enlarge and restores Polly, and Shipwreck lays him down on the table to rest as he's walking out, quips, I won't miss him much. Shut up, Shipwreck. Funny how the old Mary couple on this show isn't anyone on Cobra, it's the village people sailor and his talking parrot. (laughs) And I am here for it. Uh, What the Joes don't see as they go after Cobra is Polly continues to grow larger while he sleeps. Eventually, he wakes up so huge, he breaks through the roof of the headquarters building and flies out of it. What everyone should remember from this episode, really, is giant Polly flying through the sky singing Jingle Bells. Like, that's what I think of when I think of this episode. Yeah, probably. Like, Cobra Commander standing under the Merry Christmas banner and giant Polly flying through the skies. (laughs) When I was watching this episode... Um, my wife, Erin, who's been on this podcast many times, oh, yes. uh, was upstairs in the bedroom and she just heard jingle bells <laughs> over and over and thought it was just somebody screeching and yelling the entire episode. Like, well, that was a parrot. <laughs> nope, this is what we're watching. <laughs> Meanwhile, Cobra has arrived in Keystone City and starts shooting everything in sight. It appears their plan is working. We see a kid say to his dad as they run for cover, I thought the G.I. Joes were heroes. So did I, son. So did I. (laughs) On one odd vehicle in Keystone City that's just there, pointed out on the G.I. Joe wiki, there's a red double-decker bus driving around town. Where are we? (laughs) Thought this was America. (laughs) We finally find Duke in the Sky Striker jet with Cobra Commander at the helm, telling him he won't win because people will fight back, and Cobra Commander shrugs it off, saying, They'll just die. That was good. If he dies, he dies. Oop, wrong. <laughs> wrong 80s villain. Meanwhile, behind the Cobra's Joe convoy come the Joes riding Cobra's vehicles, including, of course, Cobra Claws, giving us our title pun. 
So CLAW is an acronym for Covert Light Aerial Weapon. But all the other Cobra vehicles are named after snake things. Snakes don't have claws. They have fangs, and there's already a fang vehicle. They're the helicopters, or should I say fully armored negator gyrocopters. So Summer <laughs> Cobra had to give all these vehicles names and had to do it using snake puns. And I guess they ran out, went with claw, and hope no one noticed. We noticed, Cobra. The Joes are forced to shoot down their own vehicles, but that's how it's got to be. Cover Girl's aimed at Cobra Commander's jet, but he believes she won't shoot because Duke's in there with him. That gives him enough time to loop back and shoot down his own rattler, sending Cover Girl falling to her doom. But wait! She's caught by the now monstrous parrot, who then sets his sights on the tiny Cobra Commander. Are you mad? You kill us both! Possible! Unless you surrender! Surrender? Cobra will never surrender! I love that shot of Polly staring in the cockpit and Cobra Commander like turns and looks at him like, ah! <laughs> Just reflection off of his helmet of a giant parrot. The commander hits the ejector seat button and Duke's clinging onto him before the commander flips him overboard and out out of the ring. Sorry, Jet. Luckily, Polly also swoops in and saves Duke before both his feet touch the floor. Duke, <laughs> Duke's Kofi Kingston, everyone. So, uh, that kind of wraps it up. We assume everyone in Keystone City is okay and they all realize what happened. Or is that kid and his dad now convinced G.I. Joe is the enemy of the people? I did like, I was going to mention a minute ago, I did like that, you know, it's fun to put the, you know, the Joes riding in the, the Cobra toys and vice versa. It is. Fun. Yeah, that that's probably how this started. <laughs> Some kids just said, well, I got a Cobra helicopter and no bad guys to put in it. So here we go. Because those had to have been easily mixed up by grandparents or someone who mean well, but don't look at the logos on the side. That kid saw it, but uh, we'll never know. But our heroes, glad to have saved the day, wish each other a Merry Christmas. Cover Girl gives Duke the gift of his keys to his handcuffs and a little kiss on the cheek because it's 1985 and we're still doing that. <laughs> Mud is suddenly cheered up out of nowhere. Terrified shipwreck now has to deal, at least for a little while, with his massive pet Polly shrieking, Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas! Ah, bah humbug. Joe, the only other thing sadly missing from this besides no resolution as to not knowing how Keystone City and its citizens have fared, no safety tip at the end. <laughs> No PSA. Were those fake ones by Eric Fendler, the first viral videos, I think? I never really found those funny. Like, everyone loves them, and they just never did anything for well, me. Some of them were pretty good just because they were so weird. Like, the one with Snowjob yelling at the kids on the ice, like, Get, get that kid off my ice, you little bastards! Give him the stick! Don't give him the stick! Like, that's my favorite one. They're from 2003. That predates YouTube. Yeah. Like that and Star Wars Kid might have been the first. So we talked about the voice actors. We didn't talk about the writing credits on this, by the way. Oh, no, I didn't look at the writing credits. Well, first of all, it took four people credited to write this episode. <laughs> and weirdly enough, it looks like it was two married couples. Oh, is that what it was? They're married? 
I did see. I do remember seeing like women's names at the title card there. Well, it has writer Jerry Conway and Carla Conway okay. and story Roy Thomas and Dan Thomas. I looked up Dan Thomas is definitely Roy Thomas's wife. So I'm assuming Carla is Jerry Conway's wife. Do you know who those gentlemen are, though? I don't. Oh, well, Roy Thomas was a huge like heavy hitter at Marvel for like post. Uh, he took over as editor in chief after Stan Lee stepped down. Whoa. He like oversaw the, the Avengers for years. He wrote Conan, like he brought Conan into the Marvel comics world. Apparently he was like oversaw a lot of the Conan, like movies and TV shows over the years. So Conan was his thing. Huh? Like if you click on IMDb, the first thing you see is Arnold as Conan. Yeah. Wow. Uh, he co or he has a uh, based on the Marvel comics uh, credits for a lot of stuff. Um, and Jerry Conway also came from the Marvel world, also worked on Conan stuff. Uh, but he co-created a guy named Frank Castle. You may have heard of Oh, and Firestorm. And he wrote the death of Gwen Stacy comic. Hmm. And a ton of other TV shows. So these guys are both like hardcore comics and cartoon and sci-fi and genre writers. Oh, wow. For years. Yep. And I, I knew those names right off the bat. And I was like, oh, I guess that's their their spouses. I don't know why they were like, hey, wives, let's all write <laughs> yeah. a weird Christmas cartoon together. <laughs> Our gift to you. Put them all together <laughs> and you get this. I love it. <laughs> Any other final thoughts on G.I. Joe? Oh, I have many thoughts on G.I. Joe, but <laughs> we've been talking about it for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, we could talk about, you know, the the Deke episodes where they brought back Cobra Commander uh, thanks to Operation Dragonfire. <laughs> oh, yes. We could talk about the other movie, um, the how uh, the, the Rise of Cobra, where uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's the only person who really gets that he's playing a live action 1983 cartoon. <laughs> he was the best part about that whole movie. He is. And then he's not there anymore. Ah, the second one. Nope. A movie I paid to see in the theater. Both of them. Well, someone had to. <laughs> well, Joey. And so on. If people want to hang you on a meat hook and leave your key to your handcuffs and all your weapons unguarded and just expect you to freeze to death, where can they find you on the Internet? Please don't do that. Please don't but, do um, that. You can find me on Twitter at I'm going to DJ 24. You can hear me on Why Not Radio at whynotradio.net and on our Words with Nerds pop culture show, which is at whynotradio.net slash nerds. Perfect. And there you'll also find Joey's interviews with quite a few members of the G.I. Joe voice cast. I'll put all those links in the show notes, which you can find at adventcalendar.house. Be sure to say yo, Joe, to me on Twitter at adventcalhouse. Don't miss another exciting episode in a couple days. For now, for Joey O, from inside a not-suspicious-at-all Trojan rocking horse, this is Mike Westfall saying, watch out for that icy patch on your way out. Now you know. And knowing is half the battle. Cobra! <laughs> The Advent Calendar House is part of the Christmas Podcast Network, located conveniently at christmaspodcastnetwork.com. You love Christmas, sure, but sometimes the same old traditions are too... traditional. Sometimes you want to see Santa stuff a kid in his sack. 
Sometimes you want Christmas dinner to come alive and threaten you with knives and forks. Sometimes you just need Christmas to get a bit weird. Weird Christmas has you covered. Check out podcasts filled with annoying Christmas music, proof that St. Nick came from magic mushrooms, and talk about Christmas specials so disturbing you won't sleep for days. Now available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Weirdchristmas.com. Oh, oh, holy Mary, that's different. Next time on the season finale of the Advent Calendar House... Do the mashed potato, do the candied yam, do the funky turkey, cause it's time to jam.